You're listening to ReachMD, and this is Lipid Lumination, sponsored by the National Lipid Association. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Brown, and I'm at the National Lipid Association's annual scientific sessions, which this year are in Las Vegas, Nevada. With me this year is one of my close friends, as well as one of the top winners of the National Lipid Association Abstracts Program, Dr. Thomas Dayspring. Tom is a director of cardiovascular education for the Foundation for Health Improvement and Technology in Richmond, Virginia, and he's a clinical assistant professor of medicine at UMDNJ, NJ Medical School, and he is also a fellow of both the American College of Physicians and the National Lipid Association, and uh, I personally have witnessed his tremendous teaching skills, so I'm really excited to have him with me today on uh, Lipid Luminations. Tom, thanks a lot for taking oh, time. Thank you, Alan, and to ReachMD for inviting me. Great. So I know you've been really busy at this meeting. Uh, I, I'd love to talk to you about all kinds of topics in lipids because I know you are a wealth of knowledge, but let's start by talking about this abstract for which you won an award. Tell me a little bit about what prompted you to even think about this topic and then describe the topic for our audience. Certainly, Alan, as you know, and certainly most of us in the lipidology community know, we are measuring lipoproteins in many patients, looking beyond cholesterol measurements, because we have found out there are people where those two markers don't agree. You can have a normal LDL cholesterol but have too many LDL particles and hence be at risk despite your normal LDL cholesterol. Or even vice versa, your LDL cholesterol could be scary, but if your LDL particle count is good, you're not so bad. So many of us, in addition to the lipid profiles, we measure lipoproteins. The way to count particles is LDL particle counts using nuclear magnetic resonance spectroscopy, but there's another way. Every LDL particle is coated with a protein called apolipoprotein B. There's one ApoB on every particle. So if you order an ApoB test, in effect, you're counting how many LDL particles. So ApoB is really an LDL particle test. It, although it counts VLDLs, there are so few VLDLs, it's really counting LDL particles. So theoretically, if I measure in you both ApoB and LDLP to count how many LDL particles you have, they should agree. Well, LDL cholesterol usually agrees with ApoB, usually agrees with LDLP, but as you know, and lipidologists know, they don't in everybody. And since the ApoB or LDLP are better markers of risk, better goals of therapy, I really should know them beyond your LDL cholesterol. But some doctors order ApoB, some order LDLP, using, ah, I'm counting particles. And if they agreed in everybody, then there'd be no need to, you pick your favorite test that you want to order. Well, we've used the database at Health Diagnostic Labs in Richmond, Virginia, looking at 600,000 people. I mean, it's rare you ever analyze anything in that amount of, of humans. And guess what? Although they correlate very nicely, they usually agree there are significant numbers of patients where LDLP might be high, ApoB normal, or vice versa, ApoB high and LDLP normal. Now we got a dilemma as treating lipidologists. Do I, which one do I ignore? Which one do I say, oh, and you, I'm going to believe this marker. So, And that's adding confusion to, because many lipidologists do order both tests because there are some unusual lipid disorders where they should be out of whack or so. They're not everyday occurrences or so we thought. Uh, so we wanted to look at which was the more 
reliable marker. And we did discover discordance. It's actually about 20% of people are discordant. So that means 80% of people either test is fine, but in the other 20%, let's face it, 20% of 600,000 is a lot of people. Uh, what should you believe if you're the lipidologist? So that's basically what we did and why we did it too. So that's very interesting. You know, the whole topic of novel risk factors has been one that's been a similar controversy. Which one do you believe and who should you order it? And I know when we did our consensus document on biomarkers, one of the commentaries was uh, the ACCHA made a statement that, you know, biomarkers don't add anything to traditional Framingham risk assessment. And uh, at first that irritates you, but if you think about it, what they're saying is if you look at the population as a whole, correct, that 95% of the time Framingham score is going to correlate with novel risk factor assessment. But as you already pointed out, that leaves 5% where it doesn't. And then the question is, if the novel risk factors are different than a Framingham score, which one's correct? And many times we think the novel risk factors are correct. So you've got the same dilemma here between ApoB and LDL particles, where most of the time they could be substituted with each other. But there's a, a substantial group that they yes. can't. And, and I want you to shed us some light on you know, are there any clinical cues as to where we might one might be better than another based on your research? So tell us about your study, what you found, yeah. and, and then at the end we're going to talk about the implications. So uh, because these 600,000 people had a lot of other biomarkers done at them, we could look for other clues as to why these two normally correlative markers were discordant in the, a given individual. And uh, that's important to know. So if there is a discordance, if you have some other associated markers, I know which one to believe. And it comes down to this as a, a sort of a simplified approach. If we see that you are insulin resistant, now sometimes that's easy. You're overweight, you have hypertension, your glucose is out of whack, you're a metabolic syndrome, high triglycerides, low HDL cholesterol. If you have small LDL particles, reduce small dense LDL cholesterol. In virtually all of those people, the LDLP was spot on, and the ApoB was a false negative in those people. And I believe I can explain a reason why, and if you want to get into it, I will. On the other side, who were these people that had high ApoB and normal LDL particle counts? Who should I be, uh-oh, I'm going by the ApoB and you. And two things popped out. One was they had elevations of lipoprotein little a. So again, you come to me, uh, you have, you're at high risk, you have ILP little a. I really need the ApoB to be totally sure am I controlling atherogenic lipoproteins. And the other marker was an inflammatory marker, lipoprotein phospholipase A2, known in the lipid world as the plaque test. It's an enzyme that sort of helps oxidize particles and everything. I can't give you a reason why that traffics with ApoB and not LDLP, but it does. So again, if I have ApoB-LDLP discordance, that enzyme test could help me and you. I'm going to believe the ApoB. Uh, there's, a, as you know, an unusual lipid condition, type 3 hyperlipidemia, which is a remnant disorder. They don't make LDL particles, so of course ApoB is going to be the winner in that, but that's not your everyday patient. We do see a lot of LP little a in the lipid clinics and certainly elevated LP PLA too. So right now, insulin resistance, which let's face it, that probably drives most of the atherosclerosis in the country now, believe the LDLP and those other two uh, biomarkers believe the ApoB. 
One other thing I'd just like to make uh, your listeners aware of, uh, about two months ago, Publishing Clinical Chemistry was a, a superb review where uh, the authors looked, there's 22 trials, I believe, looking at outcomes, angiographic markers, that the patients had ApoB and LDLP. And now you're looking at it, not just the markers themselves, but some sort of a definitive outcome. And their conclusion was each one is as good as another. They correlate well. But in, I believe, about 11 to 12 of those 22 trials, if you look carefully, LDLP was the better marker. And we're talking LDLP by NMR. That's, there are other ways of measuring LDLP. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to ReachMD. I'm Dr. Alan Brown, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Thomas Dayspring at the NLA's annual scientific forum. So, Tom, you pointed out the discordance and that you see more particle numbers in people with insulin resistance, which, you know, is not a shocker, but better to correlate than that. But ApoB is kind of a shocker to me. And that the uh, LP little a patients and the patients with high LPPLA2 tend to have better correlation with ApoB. But um, when there is that discordance, how do you know which one's right? I mean, uh, I, I understand you went back, you looked at a huge database of labs, but how do you know which one is better predictor of that patient's risk? Well, right now, uh, you're going to go by the insulin-resistant people. You're going to put more weight behind LDLP. Here's the plausibility why you'd get a false ApoB in somebody who's very insulin-resistant. LDLP is measured using nuclear magnetic resonance spectroscopy where the magnetic waves oscillate methyl groups and lipids and they translate that into particle counts. ApoB is a protein immunoassay. There's one ApoB on every LDL particle. So the assay is an antibody that comes and looks for certain amino acids, epitopes on ApoB, and they bind. And then they can put them in a, a machine that gives you the concentration. So the antibody on the assay is looking for a certain portion of the ApoB molecule. Now, insulin-resistant people have small LDL particles, so ApoB changes shape, conformation on a small LDL. And it is certainly possible that the epitopes that the antibody is looking for are no longer exposed. So uh, the uh, assay says, oh, that's not an LDL particle because it can't find ApoB, false negative ApoB. Uh, Insulin-resistant people have a lot of inflammation going on. Many of them have a lot of oxidative processes going on. Many have glycemic abnormalities. And glycation, oxidation, inflammation can destroy segments on ApoB, therefore taking away the epitopes that the antibody's looking for. So it's very plausible that in inflammatory conditions, oxidative conditions, hyperglycemic conditions, ApoB is going to be faulty in some people. So I just can't give you a reason on why LP little a drives ApoB yeah, and not Yeah, you have to think about yeah. that. Did you correlate your uh, discordant patients with other inflammatory markers to try and see yes. the, whether the discordance correlated with uh, whatever was the higher risk test correlated with a higher risk of atherosclerosis? And, and, and this is where there's this little puzzle. So if you had a high CRP, a high myeloperoxidase, a high fibrinogen, LDLP was the better marker. But if you had a high LPPLA2, an inflammatory marker, ApoB was your better marker. Don't ask me to explain that, Alan. Boy, that's wild. Uh, Hopefully we'll have some smart (laughs) listeners who will call in and you can interview them. Once again, half of what we know is correct and nobody knows which half it is. That's a little bit frustrating. 
So, uh, Tom, in closing, uh, tell us what you think the implications are for uh, us lipid geeks. And also keep in mind that many of the people in the audience are not lipid geeks. And if you were going to tell them uh, when to go beyond a lipid profile and when to get one of these markers to, to be more aggressive at treating patients, would you have any advice on how they should use advanced lipid testing? Sure. It's certainly my bias that if you want to do serious atherosclerosis prevention and risk assessment, you really do have to measure lipoproteins. They're readily available. Cost is not often an issue. But to truly answer your question, if for whatever reason you can't, won't get atherogenic particle measurements, I think right now the best thing in the lipid profile to hang your hat on is the cholesterol that is trafficked in your ApoB particles. Since that is not in your high-density or HDL particles, we call that your non-HDL cholesterol level. And I believe that is the best marker, and it's a free calculation from a lipid profile, that would at least warn a doc that you probably have a too many LDL or ApoB particles here. That doctor could treat non-HDLC to go with lifestyle or drugs, and if he did, he could assume the ApoB is there normal. I would tell you if that's a higher, very high-risk patient after get your LDLC and non-HLC gold, that's probably where it's a good time to make sure you got the fire totally put out and check atherogenic particle number. So that's excellent. It reminds everybody to understand non-HDL. Remember, that's just a total cholesterol minus HDL. And that the current guidelines say you treat the LDL to target first, and then you recheck your lipid profile. And if the triglycerides are over 200, you do the non-HDL calculation. And the, and the goal for non-HDL is to be no more than 30 points over the LDL target. Let me just add one thing to that, because could I ever envision that non-HDL would forget about ApoB, LDLP? There's emerging evidence that if we would tighten up our non-HDLC goals, make it not 30, but maybe 10 or 15 boy, we'd have a tremendous correlation between non-HL cholesterol and ApoB. So there is that emerging evidence. Well, that's terrific. And, uh, you know, you could make a case for using non-HL as the only target because yes. it works whether the triglycerides are high or low, right, Correct. Tom? Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. I can't thank you enough, and I'm really disappointed we're out of time because I could talk to you for hours. So, Dr. Dayspring, thank you for being with us today. And I really appreciate both your uh, presentation, your research, as well as taking the time to talk to us during a busy meeting. My pleasure. Thank you. I'm Dr. Alan Brown, and you've been listening to Lipid Illumination, sponsored by the National Lipid Association on ReachMD. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com lipids, featuring podcasts of this and other series. And thank you all very much for listening.